Welcome to episode 16 of Tim Talk, the podcast by the DC Anime Universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And today we got a couple episodes, a little hatter, mm-hmm. and then no one we care about. Right. Just some random dude. Mm-hmm. Um, at least we get a pretty good hatter episode. This, I I really, really loved this episode, because yeah. it's, it's that... Um, what is the like the episode? Not the episode style, but like the writing style is the the what if world. Oh yeah, very similar to the what is it, the storyline? The man who has everything from Justice League and from oh the right, yeah, kind of like what's this? Uh, like what would have happened if? Yeah, it is pretty fun. Like it again, it's amazing their ability to do episodes that just have a lot of heart behind them mm-hmm. and actually say a lot about who Batman is as a character and like what keeps him going. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a melancholy one. Like it's. It's sad by the end. Mm-hmm. You have the capacity to actually kind of feel bad for him. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they always try and make you feel bad for Batman. That's the whole point of Batman. It's just yeah. Like, but it's, I think he's one of those bad characters. For this rich kid. You should, yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's like he's someone who you could easily not identify with. Right. Like, because his mission is so extreme and his circumstances are so extreme and his lifestyle is so extreme. Mm-hmm. Do they, like, actually bring in some kind of human elements? Which is good because, so the, yeah, the first episode we have is, uh, Perchance the dream. The second one is the Cape and Cowell conspiracy, which is kind of less exciting, but still kind of fun. So kind of just doing a, a quick summary here of what happens in Perchance the dream. So uh, we get a car chase just at an oil facility. Batman breaks in chasing after some goons. He gets blinded by some piece of falling equipment. We don't quite see what it is. And then all of a sudden he wakes up at Wayne Manor and there's no Robin. He's engaged to Selena. There's no Batcave. Alfred has Batcave. Batcave. Uh, Alfred has no clue what uh, Bruce is talking about. We mentioned the Batcave. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, your parents are still alive. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about this is uh, compared to other storylines that have this trope, it's uh, he remembers Batman. Yeah, which is interesting. There's not a discovery point. Yeah, for him, everything that just happened was real while the world is convincing him it's a dream. Yeah, it makes for an interesting kind of conflicted dynamic there because mm-hmm. it shows that oh even when he gets what he wants he's still not quite happy about it yeah he's still kind of bummed out and like he even doesn't know how to react to his parents yeah and what i love about the reaction to the parents is when his dad when thomas like confronts him the first thing he does isn't try and like dad talk him is he pulls out his doctor tools oh yeah and he's like doctor first dad second yeah he's like checking him looking in the eyes okay yeah yeah doing like the basic checkup so that was a very funny and kind of, I think it makes sense for the character. I mean, we obviously don't know much about Thomas, but I don't know. I liked that. I really liked that little moment. Yeah. Well, cause Bruce even says like, Oh no, I guess I was just like parting too hard last night. Do you, do you think that even in this, this dream world where his parents are still alive, do you think he's still a bit of a party guy? Do you think he- Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, later in the episode, he talks to, uh, Leslie Tompkins and she talks about, kind of how he doesn't how he's never actually fulfilled anything oh yeah and we'll we'll get to that point i I just wonder if thomas is ever like hooked up an iv for him when he comes home super drunk so i'm sure less hungover in the morning that's the best part of having rich doctor parents (laughs) yeah cool dad yeah yeah don't worry bruce i got you covered yeah you gotta make it to that board meeting in the morning can't have you too hungover yeah you saw his like yeah he's he's just like the super relaxed like yeah i'm done with the company you yeah. can just have it i'm gonna go play golf you go have fun right do your thing yeah so then bruce goes 
to Wayne Enterprises, and he's just basically bored out of his mind. And Selena shows up and gives him a little bit of a flirt, and then we see that. Oh, hold on! Before we, we I want to talk about the Selena relationship yeah. because this show is so keen on the fastest engagement periods ever. I had a note about that too. <laughs> uh, Alfred mentioned uh, so before he goes to the boardroom. There was a very touching <clears throat> scene where Alfred is laying out Bruce's suits for the day. And Bruce sits there. He's like, tell me about my life because I don't know what happens. What's going on? And, you know, we learned that he proposed to Selena Kyle a week ago. Mm -hmm. And when he sees Selena, she says their wedding is next week. Yeah. So that's a two week, a nice two week engagement period. Super fast. I think that might be faster than uh, Harvey and Poison Ivy. I think, no, there I think was, it I think might have been like three weeks. Yeah. You'd think you need at least a couple of weeks just to get the invitations out. I mean, that is going to be a huge wedding. Yeah. Bruce knows everybody. Yeah. The whole city is going to be invited. Well, yeah. At least, you know, the rich people. Exactly. Yeah. But there was another little thing that I thought was very interesting in the character dynamics is Alfred plays such a little part in this world. Oh, Like there's no yeah. witty banter. It's very much like Butler master dynamics i hadn't thought about that but that does make sense like they wouldn't have the same kind of relationship right oh yeah i guess they did do a nice job with that i didn't didn't Mm -hmm. even cross my mind but yeah so like so selena shows up and we see that although bruce is in batman someone still is right because batman's outside of Wayne enterprises he uh stops a robbery they seem to make him extra graceful in this almost like he's so much he's a much i wrote it down he's a much better batman he's when it's a, not bruce he's a way better batman him. and i feel like bruce even kind of notices like yeah because he's he's really he good. has no flair for the dramatic he does no. everything with very little destruct or what is it um like he, he's very efficient like he swoops in grabs a guy knocks him out swoops over does this yeah like leaps in the car pulls a guy out he, he's just very like, little boom, damage boom. to the city like yeah. all that happens was he hits a fire hydrant yeah so it's not that bad no guns Wait. were fired no it was simple. no chemical plants blew up right <laughs> this is he's, the batman batman wants to be yeah he's a he's a much better batman and maybe that alone kind of sets bruce off because he, he's trying to figure out what the hell is going on it's so like you mentioned he goes to see uh, Leslie and she basically says like yeah you have uh, a dissociation and that your subconscious is has created this fantasy in your head of a life where you actually have struggle because mm-hmm. everything's been given to you over your life Wayne Enterprises was handed off to you right and so where if you, you make decisions that matter exactly that was, a, that was a huge point. Yeah, yeah yeah so it's like you have to be able to find pride in your own life and then these delusions will vanish and it's kind of this point that Bruce basically decides okay well I guess that's what these thoughts are this is my life now mm-hmm. and he just jumps right into it he's super happy he goes back to his house he like sees his parents he's all excited it's like hey come with us to the opera tonight he's mm-hmm. nice to alfred he's making jokes with him well and- what what do you think that does to a person's psyche where you just have this reverse matrix moment of this horrible life that you've been living has all been a dream yeah like how do you what do you think that i mean we see with bruce that he's like he says that he's accepted it, but every chance he has, he's like, oh, no, that's real. Yeah, he does fight against it pretty rapidly. I think that's what like most people do, right? Because it's it's too perfect. It's, right. It's too nice, especially for someone like him who's gone through so much ridiculous shit in his life, or at least mm-hmm. he remembers all this pain. Yeah. He's going to be super skeptical. So even when he decides to like jump on board, he, you know, he quickly grabs that newspaper and it's all gibberish. Mm-hmm. And he goes and he like grabs the books off the shelves and it's all gibberish. And funny enough, there uh that's actually a design style that I remember researching what? this freshman year. There was a designer who started his own like abstract magazine in mm-hmm. nineteen ninety-two. His name was David Carson. Okay. Uh and it was what was the magazine? Um 
uh, Ray Gun magazine. Uh, started in Santa Monica. It's a very okay. weird, but he kind of he was famous for this like very abstract typography and like everything is laid out very hard to read. It's more just for the visual. Okay, but it can be read. Yeah, like, uh, could it kind of okay. So it was it his, purely visual or like it was oh, an yeah. actual? Okay. His, <clears throat> uh, what he's like most famous for, and I think this is hilarious. Sorry to divert to tangent. No, I'm fascinated by this. Yeah, <laughs> in in his first magazine in like 1987, I think. He was given an article that he was supposed to put into his magazine. I think it was a skater magazine at the time. Mm -hmm. And reading it, he thought it was so boring that instead of publishing it in legible English, he did it in wingdings. And so the entire article is completely unreadable. That's amazing. Yeah. I totally respect that decision. (laughs) Yeah. And so when I was, when he was flipping through the books, that's all I could see was like. Just Bruce reading. Yeah. David Carson's. Reading his wingdings. Yeah. Because. Well, that would explain why Bruce would be going so crazy because he mm-hmm. he freaks out. He like he like you were saying. He basically goes from oh, I'm totally on board with this to I am not at all mm-hmm. in an instant. Uh, so he's like he's convinced it's all a lie. Like he, he's yeah. done with this. So he he like runs away from his parents. He grabs the car. He drives off. He buys climbing gear, and then he gets stopped by the police. They're like, hey, your folks worried. You know, here come with us. And Bruce is like, sure, but not right now. And he leaps over his car and yeah. just races off into the alleyway. I was I was very happy that Bruce didn't just beat up the cops. I was too. I was actually. ready for that. Yeah, I kind of expected him just kind of one two punch, mm-hmm. be done with it. But no, so he runs off and he makes his way to a cemetery, which kind of has this cool like eerie dream like weird kind of quality going on. Right. And he scales up to the top of the church. And he's hanging out in the bell tower, and he basically just walks up to the edge of the thing and just basically yells at the city like, hey, Batman, come at me, bro. We're going to solve this shit. Yeah. And, of course, Batman shows up, and uh, they kind of, like, square off for this fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bruce even says, like, no, this has to be a dream, and he references the print, and he's like, what, what was the reason? The, the right side of your brain? Yeah, you dream with the right side, but you <clears> read with the left side. That was the opposite. Isn't he read with... Probably the opposite. Yeah, probably, regardless. That yeah. was very interesting. Like, that's a very detective thing for yeah. Batman to do, and I really enjoyed that kind of dissecting of the situation right. like that he's he does know these things like mm-hmm. he's actually a pretty smart guy and he remembers this one detail and it's a critical detail and it's, it's kind of like this the fact that even when he kind of lets his guard down batman never really goes away it's always hanging down in the background yeah. analyze the situation that's also just before how he knows batman is going to show up i thought that was a very oh, interesting little point yes you're right um Batman scales this almost it's, a clock tower it's, it's a bell tower yeah, on top a of a tower. church in the cemetery um, yeah and he's standing there screaming at the clouds for Batman to show up, and he finally does. And Bruce says, "I knew you'd come because this is my route for yeah. my, when I, you know, when I'm looking his over Gotham. Route. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's his patrol route. I know, right? It's just the cool, really cool little details they put mm-hmm. in there. I mean, it it helps. It does so much work to make him feel like a real character, even though they're just little throwaway lines, and they are." kind of plot conveniences but mm-hmm. they don't feel that way because like oh no this fits his character he would know these things he would remember these things right so they get in this big fight bruce tears off batman's mask and it's the mad hatter or as i'm going to call him this moment of uh, extreme exposition the mad chatter yeah lots of talking yeah <laughs> so he basically just says like oh yeah you're uh, on a mind control device that device that won't tell me anything yeah but it creates a perfect dreamlike state for you and the Hatter tells him, you just, you can't wake up. No matter what you do, you're trapped here. Mm-hmm. Are you either going to accept it and live a happy life, or are you going to spend the rest of your dreamlike reality trapped in Arkham because everyone thinks you're crazy? Right. To which uh, Batman says, 
fuck you. I'm going to inception this shit. Yeah. And he just jumps off the, the clock tower. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a great line, too. I don't know if you remember this when he's getting ready to go, because Hatter asks him, like, oh, but what if you're wrong? And he's like, oh, well, then I'll see you in your nightmares. Yeah, I love like, that oh. moment. <laughs> so off he goes, and he wakes up. Because well, in- he understands that line. Like, yeah. everything is always about crossing that line. And Hatter isn't one to murder. You know, he's a scientist. Yeah. Just a, just but, a wacky guy. But yeah. yeah. Like, that's, it's, you know, I feel like Matter obviously doesn't have the same restriction, but, like, he never intended to kill. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting, like... Yeah, totally different kind of psychotic than mm-hmm. the more murderous of Batman's rogues gallery. And so he'll push himself that far, and he does. And then yeah. he wakes up in Hatter's lab, um, and the Hatter basically just tells him, like, you ruined my life, mm-hmm. so I was willing to give you the life you always wanted if it meant keeping you out of mine. Yeah, I loved that moment. I did, too. And, like, you know, the Hatter's crying because he's really, really mad. Like, Batman, from his perspective, did ruin his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, it's, like, it's that—we talked about this last time with Hatter, too. It, like, toes the line of him almost being sympathetic, but, again, it was a selfish motivation. But there's this kind of desperation to him. There, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's kind of sad, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's fully sympathetic, but, you know. Because he's this character, I mean, compared to some of the other villains that we meet, there's a few sprinkled in there, um, but he could easily be the most successful either as a villain or just as a normal scientist. Like, he's yeah. one of the leading neuropsychologists in the world. Um, yeah, he has this amazing technology yeah, that he, is universally he applicable. He literally has mind control yeah. <laughs> over anything. Yeah. And villain-wise, we also see this with Batman. Like Batman is very susceptible to to his own mind. Yeah. We see that with Scarecrow, and we see that with Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. And you see how frustrated Bruce gets because he can't fight that. And like if if Mad Hatter had that push and that drive to be a villain, he could easily be the best. Oh yeah, he would be way ahead of all of his peers, mm-hmm. but he just kind of he's kind he kind of wastes it. Oh, he absolutely does. And I also feel like it doesn't help that people don't take him seriously, and so I feel like he almost kind of retaliates by getting frustrated and making mistakes and getting antsy. But I mean, we I, we were talking last time too. He is a super interesting villain. Yeah, and it's nice when you have something like a TV show that actually gives him a chance to do something kind of cool. Like I I don't really imagine we're gonna get Hatter in a live action movie, or if we do, it might be kind of an oblique reference or Mm -hmm. as like a supporting character, but I don't see him ever being a central villain in a film just because I don't think an audience would take him seriously. Right. But you know, he's someone who actually should be kind of taken kind of seriously. Yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to pose this question to you, Mm -hmm. kind of a question. What did you think of Bruce's ideal world? Like, I feel like there's a lot of things, a lot of little things that tell a lot about his character. Yeah, I. it feels like what you think his ideal life would be like. I mean, the starting point being that his parents would be back, mm-hmm. obviously. You know, I thought it was interesting that it was Selena Kyle, who he was engaged to. Yeah. Which, from a writing perspective, you can see why they did that. But I still think it fits within the context of the series, too. Like, that was kind of the one that tripped him up a little bit. You know, he did mm-hmm. get really kind of infatuated with her, and it's kind of because he's Batman— that they couldn't really be together. Right. So I thought it really worked. Um, you know, I did think it was interesting too, is that there was no dick in his, there's no, no, I got it. I got yeah. it. Yeah. No dick Grayson. No big old dick there. No, yeah, no, no dick in his life. And it's a real struggle. It is. Isn't it? It's a poor guy. It's a valuable thing to have. Yeah. A nice protege. 
But I guess, I mean, it, it makes sense. He, you know, wouldn't have gone out and adopted a kid because he would have had the motivation to do it. Mm-hmm. And I guess for plot simplicity, it makes sense that he wouldn't be there. But it, it would have been interesting to see, like, what role, like, a young mentor, like, a young mentee would have in his life in this ideal world. Like, yeah. I mean, he's not married yet, so he, well, he probably has a kid somewhere, but not that he knows of, at least. Right. But, um, that's almost one thing I would have liked to see added in there is like what his relationship would have been like with, with a ward or a son or something like mm-hmm. that. But I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it worked. I liked it. What'd you think? Uh, what I found the most out of place in this world is pretty much the only change was his parents came back in mm-hmm. his ideal world. There's still crime. And I thought that was the oh, biggest thing. I didn't even Excuse think me. about that. That's fascinating. Yeah, there's still evil and there's still wrong. Gotham isn't this perfect city. Yeah. In his mind, there's always a need for Batman. Even when he's not Batman, there's still a need for that character. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the Batman is still there. Yeah. No matter what. Oh. Literally the only thing that changed in his life is his parents weren't shot. Yeah. Everything else stayed the exact same. That is his ideal world, is nothing else changes except his parents coming back. Oh, interesting. I've, I found that very interesting and tells a lot about his character. About In previous weeks, we talked in, what was it, <clears throat> two weeks ago, we had the crime alley episode where yeah, he's constantly so. being um interrupted by other oh yeah he's just saving people yeah one after the other all the time um and from that story we see like there's a need like mm-hmm. not only for him to be there but like a need for him to help people yeah uh and obviously we see through the rest of the series and especially through batman beyond that he never intends to quit no not only for his sake but for gotham's sake but this episode, I think, says a lot about that as a whole. Like, even oh, in his yeah. perfect world, there's still crime. There's still yeah. Batman. He never intends for Gotham to be clean. Huh. Man, you found much cooler depths to this whole thing than I did. <laughs> you find all these really interesting depths of, like, his philosophy on Gotham and justice and crime, and my first thought is, there's no dick in his life. There, that's a big point. Yeah. Of course, that's what I would be worried about. Yeah. But now, I know you and I were talking earlier this week about uh, the Hatter, and you, I see it's on the table here. You yeah. have the Batman and philosophy book. You're saying that there's some pretty interesting stuff in the Mad Hatter, so... I don't know if this is a new segment like the doctor's in or something like that. I don't think there's not like enough to fully to fully go over because like the the Mad Hatter we see in the comics is a little bit different. Yeah, Um, I'd say he is. And we see kind of what what is I going with this? There are some like they bring over the the broad aspects like he's a neuroscientist. Yeah, but they yeah, they very much leave out kind of why he does all this and why he wants to escape to this world. Mm -hmm. And it's. It's not too exciting, so I don't want to super dive into it, but he kind of had this, uh, he had like a, he was a deformed kid. Like, obviously, you see his big teeth. Oh, yeah. Uh, and his kind of oddly shaped head. That's kind of a common thing in Batman, isn't it? Like, yeah. you get the penguin, you get the hatter, a lot of weird shaped kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's always the thing is how do kids deal with trauma? Yeah, and that's the whole point of how, Batman, I suppose. Right. So. Yeah, it's every villain is just one step away, or... Every every villain Batman is one step away of becoming. Yeah. But yeah, I one of the points in the book that I already brought up is he should be, you know, the most successful inventor or most formidable criminal mastermind. But he obviously lacks the vision and the talent to really do something like this and become that A-list supervillain. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I thought was interesting is uh, how he relates to. We haven't I don't think we see it in the show, 
as much, but how like being the Mad Hatter, like he actually like he is obsessed with his hats mm-hmm. and he gives mental life to them. He talks to them. He gives them emotion. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it's um, what is it called? By attributing traits that I'm not going to read this word. <laughs> um, animism. Which is oh, something that okay. children do. And there's a lot of connections between Hatter and this childlike character where he yeah. desperately wants to stay a child, just like Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, etc. He has this desire to stay in this childlike form. And I think you see a lot of traits, like the animism, his kind of things, always wanting to go his way. His like he, the end of this episode, he basically mm-hmm. has a temper tantrum. He does, yeah. Um Oh. And it's it's he he likes to stay young. Yeah, I guess so it does. Very interesting. That does make a lot of sense. It was is animism just a general term for like associating human personality with inanimate objects? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Okay, because I feel like I've heard that context before. If you look at like, isn't that is that the same thing as seeing faces in objects? I don't think so. More, there's a more specific term. Yeah, there's a for there's a that. different term. This is just like th- like talking to. It's just like um. If you imagine a kid who drops their teddy bear Mm -hmm. and they freak out because, you know, in their mind, the teddy bear is now hurt. Yeah. They have to go care for it. Yeah. Uh, He has that with, you know, his hats. Oh. He talks to them. He has full conversations. He he takes their opinions on things. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense, too, because he doesn't really see people as real people. He's not Mm -hmm. having human conversations with anyone he meets because he's just mind controlling all of them yeah the closest we see to this is uh with his rats in the first episode oh yeah where he's talking to them he's getting obviously they can't talk back but he's asking them what he should do yeah you know should i go talk to alice should i use mind control for people no 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 it's not a relationship if it's one-sided blah 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 yeah it's kind of like externalizing his thoughts right others exactly in this case rats yeah rats hats. Hats. yeah <laughs> yeah oh he's kind of a sad guy isn't he he, yeah, reading reading about his history, he he's just one of those guys that never had anything going for him. Yeah. Except being the number one neuropsychologist in the world. Only that. Only that. Yeah. Um, do you think they could have made him more sympathetic in the cartoon? Like, after having read that a little bit, like, do you have a different perspective on him and think he could have been um, more fleshed out? Or do you think they're still doing a pretty good job? I think for a kid's cartoon, they're, they're doing it well. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot in the stories that talk about his, like, fetishism. And how Ooh, yeah. like how he is extremely turned on by the mind controlled later on in his stories, and how like he won't even talk to people who aren't wearing hats, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> um, so he'll talk to Batman though. Does he count that as a hat? I don't know. It's a cowl. Yeah, mm. it's on the on the fence, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe it's for the best. They cut out those kind of parts of his personality, right? But yeah, I think I think they do. <laughs> A, a pretty good job. He's kind of sympathetic, but I mean, he's he's just crazy. He's just a crazy dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't really have any other like trivia or anything for this episode, other than just a quick question for you. Did you also feel like the plot of this episode is like the plot of Inception, or am I just like extrapolating because I associate Nolan with Batman so much? The ending, absolutely. When okay. He, when he jumps off, I even said he Inception. Yeah. He incep- out of yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. There was that, and then uh, what I thought was really funny was. Uh, Mad Hatter's speech when Batman realizes it's a dream. Mm-hmm. His speech is very similar to Dumbledore's speech at the end of Deathly Hollows, where oh. Harry is talking to him. He's like, uh, is any of this real? 
He's like, well, of course it's real. It's happening in your head. Yeah. And I, uh, I just made yeah. that little parallel. I had a lot of parallels to other shows in this. But, I mean, it's because it's like just a good episode. And I, yeah. I think there's some pretty core themes here that you can pull out and use in other places. So, no, I tell totally you where that's coming from. Yeah. I would definitely say it's the uh, the stronger of the two episodes this week. Mm-hmm. Although, that being said, overall, Cape and Cal conspiracy for a one-off villain of the week, pretty good. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, like, unbelievable towards the end, but I still had fun with it. Yeah. Okay. So, actually, I, well, at the end, I have a question for you, I think, along, okay. those, along those lines. All right. But because, right. yeah, it's because when it starts out, it's just some random dude walking through, I think, a mini golf course. Yeah. Right. This uh, also, this is one of the episodes that has the greatest use of every overused villainary, like, villain trope. Oh, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely just stuff with them. Uh, I think the first example that we pulled from there is that he quicksand. has... Quicksand. Oh, there's... Oh, there's, oh, there's <laughs> yeah, there's the quicksand. Sorry, I was going to say... Jumping quicksand. <laughs> quicksand. I was going to say the, uh, the, the letter that he has that has the red along oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, you know, made up of cutout mm-hmm. newspaper the clippings. The ransom note. It's like the ransom... I was going to ask, what... Is there a name for that? Like, I have ransom note style letter but uh, i just call it ransom note style yeah, that's, i'm sure there is a word there's probably it. a real thing i could have looked it up i didn't mm-hmm. but it's a riddle that basically takes him to this golf course and he gets trapped in quicksand yes <laughs> which again i think let's let's run with the assumption that the the villain of the episode brought in the quicksand and this is no not- no, no i like to think that <laughs> that golf course just has it lying around. i mean this is gotham where places where children go are designed to be death traps. Yeah. So it's he probably just lucked out. Yeah. That's probably why he works in Gotham, actually. He doesn't have to do any work. Right. Just go to the local kids' park and something there will kill you. I just, <clears> when <throat> that scene happened, I paused it and just, like, li- like <laughs> went through the John Mulaney joke. Oh, about, like, oh this thing about quicksand that yeah. is really good. Yeah. yeah. Like, as a child, like, the number three thing to fear in life is quicksand. Quicksand. <laughs> I have oh. no idea what the fuck is happening in That's the improv fine. class next door, but fine. it's highly ridiculous. Yeah, so there, we find out that this the guy who's at this uh, this golf course, he's a diplomatic courier, and he's being watched by the as of yet unknown villain. And he walks to quicksand, and the the villain wants some bearer bonds. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird jumping in point. You don't know what's going on in the opening. Uh, but then go ahead and sit down, though, because we've got a huge chunk of exposition coming up. Yeah. Let me see if I can go through it. There are $750,000 in bearer bonds marked for humanitarian aid to starving refugees in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And they didn't go to the right people. Someone else got them. I'm glad they, you know, can get topics that kids can relate to. Of course. Um, but and- this is also like the first non, oh, it's still a charity, but it's the first thing like, Outside of Gotham. That's true. Kind of yeah, cool. it's not just, you know, add a new wing not, to the Gotham yeah. Observatory. Or to Gotham U. Yeah. Or, like, the library. It's, it's That's true. It's it's a broader it's context. It's yeah. worldly, yes. And so, Gord makes a comment about, how, oh, this sounds like the work of Wormwood the Interrogator, mm-hmm. probably the worst villain name ever, uh, whose MO is to use death traps to get information, and that Wormwood has an associate, the Baron, who I refer to as Victor Eyebrows. Yes. Big bushy eyebrows. Um, and so eyebrows. And he's got that like, um, who's the, uh, oh my, in Hunger Games, there's the, like, the guy who runs it in the first. Oh, um, it's Wes Bentley's character. But what's the character's name? I don't remember. He I don't had, know. They had the same. The same uh, weird, like, 
uh, very pointy goatee. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of an evil looking beard. Yeah. Oh, we kind of. It's almost like the bottom half of the Wu-Tang sign. It's like, it's the, it has like the, the curved, it's just the Wu-Tang sign without the, the head. I'm going to pretend like I remember what the Wu-Tang sign looks like. It's fine. I'll, I'll draw it for you. Okay, okay I'm just going to nod along. I could look it up. I won't. So, Eyebrows is at a banquet and gets snatched up by Bac- Batman, mm-hmm. who does his usual rooftop angle interrogation um, to get some information. And after this, Eyebrows is pissed. He wants revenge. So, he decides he's going to recruit Wormwood to get Batman's cape and cowl. Thus, cape and cowl conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So, the next thing that happens is the bat signal. I was about to say, this episode, as mediocre as it is, gives us one of the most important tools in Batman. Yeah, like, because I have kind of forgotten that up to this point, the bat signal hasn't been there. So, my first thought is, oh, it's some sort of trap. No, it's not. It's just the real bat signal. Right. And Batman even makes a comment. It's like, oh, you know. This is convenient. Yeah, a new tool. And Gordon's like, yeah, you know, I, I thought it would be convenient. And, and mm-hmm. you you mentioned before that... In the show Bible, they specifically reference not including the bat signal, right? Possibly. That was okay. A long time ago. Okay. Uh, 16 weeks ago. <laughs> Shit, though, wasn't it? Yeah. So I, I I thought I remembered something about that, but I guess they made it far enough in. They're like, okay, well, let's, let's go ahead and bring it in. I'm glad to do because it's a classic. Right. Um, so then Batman gets another riddle letter that takes him to Train Town. Mm hmm. Because, of course, it's a train town. It's half of Gotham. I mean, Gotham is train town. Yeah. The other general. half is, De- is uh, Dock City. <laughs> yes. It's Dock City, train town, and, like, chemical land. Yeah. Chemical plant land. Chemical city. Yeah. So we go to train town, <laughs> and uh, Batman gets trapped into a train, and it's going around the track, and if he doesn't hand over his cape and cow, the train is going to run over a woman tied up on the Damsel tracks. in distress. So I was trying to figure out, where does that come from? That trope? That trope, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I feel like the most kind of reference example of it is Snidely Whiplash from the Dudley Do-Right cartoons. Right. But I was like, did that come from someplace earlier than that? So I, I looked it up. Oh, you did? I, yeah, I, 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 did, up I did some research moment. on this. and I, I assume it's some Western, right? Not, not really. Because so, there's, there's almost like this idea that it came out of uh, silent movies. And apparently there was, oh, right. uh, there was a play in the 1800s called Under the Gaslight that had a character tied up on the train track, but actually it wasn't a woman. It was a guy. And most concrete examples and like the research I was doing that actually could point out like, oh, yeah, in this play or in this, this book or in this movie or whatever, a person tied up on the tracks, it's actually usually a male. It's not a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. So that, but when it was, it was used sometimes. Um, like I guess there was a film serial called The Perils of Pauline. But whenever that had it, whenever it was used, it was basically used for hyperbolic comedic effect. So it was almost kind of this weird thing where it was a trope that was used for comedy effect that never existed before as an actual thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can think of another example of that before. Like normally we we now you know poke fun at tropes because they exist they're just used repeatedly this basically started out as a comedy trope and is maintained all the way through that's really interesting i can't think of anything else like that yeah i don't know i just got really caught up in wondering where this came from no i'm, I'm glad that you <laughs> researched that i was really i never curious. even thought about where that came from yeah i was really curious about it um, but i do remember now there is a there is a charlie <clears throat> chaplin sketch where he where he rescues a damsel in distress is it mm-hmm. are you sure because i didn't it's either it's either Chaplin or, or Buster Keaton. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's um, it's probably Keaton. Now that it, I think there's about um, it. the oh my god, it's like one of his most famous movies, The Train. No, the loco- locomotive, the train. Uh, I think yeah, the locomotive. I think is what it is. <sighs> 
gonna have to look up. This is gonna bother me. But okay, let me get back to. Yeah, we're gonna get back to the story. Get back to my synopsis here, and then I'll figure out. I my, my on, friend Cody, uh, if he ever listens to this, which Keaton he won't, talk. he will kick my ass for not remembering that about Buster Keaton. Oh yeah, Keaton talk that fits. Yeah, we're just talking about Michael Keaton too. So uh, Batman escapes from the train and goes to save the woman from the tracks, but she's just a hologram. So right. first attempt to get the cape. No, no internet, no computers. Holograms. No, yeah. yeah. Holograms. Black, easy. Black and white television, fully color 3D holograms. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. They have their priorities straight. They really do, though. I mean, the villains got to have tools to work with. Right. More so than the people. So that didn't work once. So now we're going to try out the Wax Museum. Mm-hmm. Wormwood has put up another riddle up on a wall he's like the shitty version of the he riddler is. that's already exactly shitty wrote that. <laughs> like how dare you the riddler is great i mean we're gonna see I, him in like three weeks i love the riddler and his episodes are some of my favorites but that being said like even in the comics he's treated like a lesser villain than his because his purpose is different his purpose isn't to rob or overcome like, to to conquer the city his only purpose is to make something that batman can't solve yeah and he's terrible at it well, because it's he always has to. We're gonna get into this. I know in that's true. Plenty of time to get into this, but I mean, I love the Riddler, but let's. He's already kind of a lesser villain. This is a right, shittier whatever, version whatever. of the Riddler. Uh huh. This is a shitty Riddler. Oh my yes. god, it's me the Scooby Doo bait all over again. <laughs> Warm myself up this time. Yep. But um, so obviously, uh, the Wax Museum is a trap because of course it is. Uh, there's a giant. Has there ever been a wax museum that's not a trap? No, they're all I didn't traps. Think so. Yeah, this is why I avoid Madame Tussauds. It's actually just like right down the block from me, but right. I won't go near it because I will die. Yes. I'll never come Because it's of obviously there. a trap for yeah. someone. Because I'm sure, just like in this episode, there'll be a giant light bulb there that's going to melt the wax and drown me, burn me. I wasn't quite sure what the guy was going for. I think he was just going to get like stuck uncomfortably in the wax in the wax it was kind of a lame death ploy but when it doesn't work he just puts out a nerve gas and batman just surrenders okay fine he pulls off his mask he has like a separate one underneath he has the mask of zora mask he does which fits yeah i didn't even think about that it is zora that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. so worm was one he takes the so proud of himself he's so proud so he takes the cow back to eyebrows and uh he asks you know why why do you want this so bad he's like okay i'll eyebrows tells him i'll tell you but you first have to tell me how you got the bonds and, and where they're going and where they're going exactly the whole story about it and so Warwood tells him all these things and then chair spins around and batman pops up because it's all been a sting operation mm-hmm. he's been hiding out his victor eyebrows this whole time <clears throat> this tall masculine man has been working as a short that Russian man. This Absolutely. Whole time. I mean, Batman is a master of disguise and he does love wearing like disguises. Not like a 2003 disguises. movie, yeah. but like an actual <laughs> master of disguise. He's never dressed up as a turtle. Yet. Oh, yet. Let's give it time. Give it time. If we can have, um, what's my favorite issue? Batman 241 is the um, Batman in the multicolored suits. Oh. Where, uh, Quilt, Quilt Master makes him. Wait, was that the. Was that in the original, like, the 50s one, or was that mm-hmm. in the... Because didn't Grant Morrison do a thing with the multicolored suits? Probably. Trevor, I feel like you would know this. He did a little bit of something, but he also, like, reintroduced, like, the Batman of Zerena, which was, like, the weird... Oh, like, that's right. Mm-hmm. ...suit. Yeah. But, I mean, Grant Morrison, his whole thing was, like, I'm going to make everything true. That's true. <laughs> the Silver Age stuff. Yeah. The hardcore Golden Age. Like, he was, like, 
all Batman is true. It doesn't matter what. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Batman's history is pretty insane, and Grant Morrison's kind of insane, too. So yeah. good on him for just jumping on board with that. Um, but you're right, yeah, it's not... Not as good as the uh, the multicolored suit, but Batman reveals himself. They get into a, a barbell fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wormwood goes out the window, but he grabs onto Kavini the cape, and it's all good. He gets saved, and uh, Batman even sends him a cape and cowl. Yeah, in that prison was the most as a like, nice little. That fuck might be you. the most yeah fuck you thing yeah. Batman has ever done. Where Wormwood goes into the cell, and the officer on duty like hands him. He's like, oh, here's a present. The note card says. This will keep you warm at yeah. night. And he unfolded to be the cape and cowl that he stole. Yeah. With the big old Batman logo down at the bottom. God, what a dick. I know, right? That's, ooh, is that as good as in Batman Returns when he sends Penguin the note after he saves all the kids? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't. Penguin's trying to kidnap all the kids and Batman swoops in and saves it. And he sends a note back to the Penguin with the, the little circus monkey. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. The, the kids are unable to intend. They send their regrets. Oh. The big old bat stamp on the bottom. I think I think this one's a little worse. It's 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 more it's more ironic and it's more on point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of it. Little little bits of trivia, I guess. The episode's based on a comic book story, the Cape and Cal Death Trap mm-hmm. from Detective Comics number four fifty in nineteen seventy five. Uh I did love it that it was Jonathan Rice Davies as the voice of Victor Eyebrows. Do you know who that is? No. He's Sala from Indiana Jones. Okay. He's also the dwarf in the lord of the rings you got to be a little more specific like the dwarf in the lord of the rings like oh the one who's in gimli the, thank you yeah i don't know shit about lord of the rings but like i know that he's in it i love i love john rice davies okay he's amazing i mean you should have known sala i know more lord of the rings than Diana jones unfortunately <laughs> and then um i played all the lego games that counts i guess that counts yeah and then uh the voice of wood woodward yeah, yeah. was bud court who? Wormwood. Wormwood Word is the one in the comics, which I thought was the stupidest name change and the most unnecessary name change. Oh, for like the comic that's based on it was yeah. a Woodward yeah. they changed it to Wormwood? Yes. Okay. What's the point? I don't know. It's just hard to like, like just writing that yeah. when I was taking notes, which is hard <laughs> for me to like spell both of them correctly. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm sorry I tasked you so. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't know by name who bud court is have you ever seen harold and Maud? no it's a great movie he's harold but he's also the voice of toy man in the rest of the dc animated universe oh yeah so he'll be coming back uh in superman and justice league cool i think static shock too yeah i think it's an episode there's uh, two episodes of static shock yeah but oh i did have one question for you Mm -hmm. looking back on it does batman's plot because it's actually batman's plot we realize still makes sense when you know the twist um i was trying to figure this out i think it does i'm not sure yes but what bugs me is I, I wrote this down actually. Um how so this was like a we'll say this this took place in forty eight hours, seventy two hours. That's yeah, I think it's roughly accurate. Yeah. How many other crimes were happening <laughs> while he was sitting on his ass acting as this fat Russian trying to convince <laughs> Wormwood that he was not Batman? I didn't even think about that. He spent so much time yeah. creating this character. <clears throat> And not only figuring out what what Wormwood is going to do, but how he's going to react yeah. to everything that he's like. He fully planned out this over elaborate scheme. Yeah, he probably spent a good like three hours just sitting in the Bat Cave with like a cup of tea, and costume sh- it, shuffling through all his costumes. Yeah, still, 
Still in full bat suit, mind you. Of course. But just going through his closet, like, oh, maybe this. No, I think this one will work. Yeah. I haven't used my Russian voice in a while. Let's bust but this like, up for a bit. We see in that episode that I already brought up that, like, crime happens every 10 minutes in yeah. Gotham. And he spends 48 to 72 hours just on this one guy who's not doing anything to hurt anyone in Gotham. Not in Gotham. Right. But, I mean, he's preventing money from going to, let me look this up again, Eastern European but it was, child refugees. It right? was uh, $750,000. Yes. Bruce can donate that. That's true, heartbeat. actually. All, he doesn't even need to, like, find the money. Yeah. Like, he should to be a good person, but he can just grab Wormwood, throw him in jail. Also, if you're donating money to help out child refugees, why the hell would you transport them in bearer bonds? Because, like, the whole point of a bearer bond is whoever is the bearer of the bond owns the bond. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Archer, for ta- teaching me that. Why would you send it that way? I don't know, because it's obviously something that kids can understand on yeah, Saturday morning. that's a good point. Uh, no, but, I mean, it's silly, but it is kind of fun. Uh, any other notes on the episodes? Um, kind of about the character. In the comic, so he's also a one-off villain in the comic, mm-hmm. but they wrote him much better. He was supposed okay. to be the equal to Batman. The way they describe him in the comics oh, is he... Oh, I can see that, yeah. Um, he's like a financier socialite assassin mm-hmm. which works great against a so financier socialite yeah <laughs> okay socialite super superhero yeah so he was yeah he was supposed to be the anti-batman okay not as like gadget heavy as deathstroke obviously. no he just finds quicksand pits yeah so yeah and in in this story they obviously just make him a a knockoff uh, knockoff riddler yeah. which i mean was fine it but... works it made me miss the riddler actually yeah because he's great no, I never said he wasn't great. He's great. He can be both great and shitty at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess if that's the case, then we can move on to Batplug. Fuck. Yeah, right. I know. What have I been watching? Or reading or a, reading a podcast. Uh, uh, me being the child that I am, mm-hmm. I saw that, <laughs> that Danny Phantom was all added on Hulu. Oh, uh, it is up so there, I'm, isn't I'm it? jumping <clears throat> back on the Danny Phantom train. How's it hold up? It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's like fourth or fifth time through the series oh my god there's something very special and i bring this up when people talk to me about like childish cartoons where no matter what the show batman is a huge is a great example of this no matter what the show if you have a good rogues gallery then the show will write itself yeah that's absolutely true my examples are obviously batman flash but in the cartoon world um danny phantom has one of my favorite rogues gallery with he does and he does and yeah so many great people and i know who you're gonna mention next and i agree with you kim possible yes yes that is so good that is an incredible rogues gallery dr draken shigo i know my friends hate it when i talk about kim possible on this podcast but but (laughs) suck at cameron's friends i also love kim possible senior 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 junior yeah motor ed yep uh there's so many like those shows there are like there's those few that stand out that just rise above yeah. the rest. Um, it didn't have as big of a gallery, but American Dragon Jake Long is another one. Okay, I never watched um, that one. That's fine. Uh, Kids Next Door. Oh, that, that oh one, yes, yeah. Sticky Beard. Yeah. Oh. Um, what is it? Um, Brace Face. Yeah. Sticky Beard. Mister Fid. Or yeah, Mister Fid. Mister Wink. They're the ones. Oh who are yeah, who are, the, who are the um the play on Mister Kid and Mister Wint mm-hmm. from Diamonds Are Forever? Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's like these, like those three cartoons are my, yeah. uh, I mean, besides Avatar, it has, I mean, there's two villain, three, four villains in Avatar, but 
going off the stent of like the superhero shows yeah. like those three they, are my favorite across pretty much all of television yeah no you're, you're absolutely right like they do have and you're right about rose galleries making the difference mm-hmm. and you're right about those shows having great rose galleries yeah so um yeah i'm watching danny phantom again i totally respect the decision i added it to my hulu queue as well i just haven't gotten to it mm-hmm. uh because i've been watching on amazon uh, the Thunderbirds are go. I was telling you about this. The, oh, right. Yeah, the the reboot of the '60s super marination show from Jerry Anderson, and I loved the show from the '60s, and I bought it all on iTunes. And it's fun to go back and watch, but they are really slow because like the original one was like hour long episodes, and but I mean the the model work on those old episodes that were incredible. And so what I like about this new one is it's a combination of real model work and CGI. Okay. So the actual environments are real models they build and even sometimes the ships are, but like so the characters are CGI and are basically inserted digitally into these actual real models. And so what's cool about it is it has kind of that there are times when you can kind of see that it's a model and that's that's fun. I, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a lost art in some ways. And so that you know things don't necessarily move perfectly naturally and the water doesn't look quite right. And so the fact they found that deliberate way that visual style of making it seem old fashioned, but it's still very modern technology. I thought it was really cool. Like that's awesome. Yeah. That people don't put that kind of effort in. So yeah. I, I liked that they, they matched the tone of the original show better than the movie did. <laughs> and they kind of got the style down to it as right. well. But, um, yeah, that's on Amazon. So go, uh, go check that out. Awesome. Yeah. But I think that wraps it up mm-hmm. for this week. So, uh, next week we're back with Robin's reckoning. Yep. Our next super, two-parter. super, super excited about that. Those are great episodes. Right. Uh, but until then, thank you once again to Trevor Reese for coming down and being your audio engineer. Uh, go check out his podcast, The Podcast of Two Worlds. And uh, Cameron, where can we find you on all things internet? Uh, you can find me at Cameron Dexter on everything. And I'm at Lordifer. And the podcast itself is at Tim Talk Pod on all those things that I didn't bother to mention, but you know what they are. Mm-hmm. So until next week, thanks, guys. Yep, thank you. Bye.